We will start our scripture reading with a part from the epistle of Paul to the Galatians. I will read Galatians 3, verse 1, till chapter 4, verse 7. Galatians 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, know then that it is is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it to add to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed by the law be by the law. But the scripture in 
present everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned under the coming would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you are were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abram's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the dates set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Then we will turn to our text for this morning in the book of Judges. The text will be Judges 2, verse 6, till chapter 3, verse 6. Judges 2, verse 6. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnathiris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaius. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the works that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. 
Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges from them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groanings because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because these people have, people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them, that is all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan, it was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon as far as Lebo Hamath. They were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Though the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. Till so far the text. In response to the gospel, we will sing as our Amen song, Psalm 98, the verses 1 and 2. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I assume that most of the members of the congregation have in one way or another a Dutch background, and most of our ancestors were previously members of the Gereformeerde Kerk Vrijgemaakt, the Reformed Church Liberated. 
And as churches, we have followed the decline of these churches in the Netherlands to such an extent that we had to break off this sisters' church relationship with these churches. And we often wonder how it was possible that these churches left the Reformed faith in such a short period of time. And we know that this happened more often, and it has been called the second or third generation syndrome. It is the general tendency that the second or third generation accepts the status quo and loses the vision of the first generation. Too often the second generation or third generation experience is a second-hand or a third-hand experience, and they will water down everything the first generation stood for. And church history is filled with many examples of this. And sadly enough, so are many Christian families. The parents' commitment for the Lord Jesus Christ becomes the children's formalisms and the grandchildren's apathy. And we meet this syndrome most vividly in the book of Judges. As we examine scripture and see the second or third generation syndrome in action, we will hopefully be better able to guard against it in our own lives and in the lives of the next generation. We will see that in his judgment, the Lord gives judges. And in that way, I'm going to summarize the message of our text. In his judgment, the Lord gives judges. And we'll see that in his judgment, he punishes. Then the first aspect we will see, that in his judgment, he teaches war. The second aspect we will see, and that in his judgment, he grants the victory. The third and last aspect we will see. Therefore, in short, in his judgment, the Lord gives judges in his judgment, he punishes sin, he teaches war, and he grants the victory. Brothers and sisters, it is striking that our text starts with some statements that are also found at the end of the book of Joshua. Again, we hear about the death and the burial of Joshua. And why is it necessary, you will wonder? And what is the connection with what was mentioned previously in chapter 1? Namely, the things that happened after the death of Joshua. Well, you have to see it in this way. The first two chapters are meant as an introduction to and as a short review of the whole period of the judges. That means that in these two chapters a period of almost four centuries is summarized, indicating the principles behind the Lord's dealings with Israel. It has to be an explanation in advance how and why all those things could happen in the history of Israel. 
And to cut a long story short, this will be the result. It is Israel's own fault. And it is all due to the accumulation of their own sins. And you have to remember that the first and last verses of Judges place it neatly in its historical settings. Judges deals with the period after the death of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 1. And before there was any king in Israel, chapter 21, verse 25. And Judges covers the whole period between the Exodus and the monarchy. And the entire book of Judges has to do with 400 years of Israel's history which links the era of Moses and Joshua with the setting up of the kingdom. And you can say, this period is an era of testing in the history of the Old Testament church. The people of God had received his law at Mount Sinai, and they had heard the repetition of the law just before the entrance into the promised land. And in addition, they have a rich history, all facts and persons, which will stimulate God's people to be obedient to God's will. And now in this period, the Lord puts Israel to the test. Will the people of God act according to the law? Will they act in obedience they owe to God? Will they observe the promise to serve the Lord? And for that reason, the Lord, to a certain extent, leaves his people to themselves. Moses and Joshua have passed away. However, the Lord does not fill this vacancy. He gives no other leader and guide to the people of Israel. In the ear of the judges, you will find no authority who can force God's people to serve the Lord. There is no king in Israel. Everything was dependent on the question whether the people of God would serve the Lord according to his law readily and cheerfully. Were they willing to accept the Lord as their king? Israel had left its childhood behind and had become a young gentleman. And to test them, to test him, the father gave him some, to ex some extent of freedom. He took away his servants, Moses and Joshua, who had guided the child. And now Israel had the opportunity to show their love and obedience. They have the possibility to show that they truly have the spirit of the law in their hearts so that they are strong to listen to the Lord as their heavenly king, and that they are not in need of a king here on earth. And it has to become clear in this period of the history of Israel whether this child will be and act like a son to whom the father can give the inheritance. And we know Israel failed the test. This is the brief contents of the book of Judges. The history of Israel 
It goes from bad to worse. There is a downward spiral in the book. Through the accumulation of their own sins, it becomes clear that God's people can't deliver themselves and can't defend and preserve themselves in the redemption obtained for them. In chapter 1, we hear about the beginning of this sinful development. However, there is yet no talk of idolatry. But the door has been opened because the people of Canaan with their own cult are spared. The altars of the Canaanites remain and their idolatry holds a great attraction for the people of God. There is less required to give in and to serve the idols of Canaan. But to understand the developments, the author has to go back in history for a while. When Joshua was still alive, the people served the Lord. They followed Joshua's lead. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. But Joshua died, as verse 8 reminds us. And shortly after, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And then, abruptly, in the middle of verse 10, we meet the second generation. And with them, the situation entirely changes. Well, what is said about this generation they did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And this is not a reference to intellectual ignorance. They were not uninformed of the events of the Exodus or of the conquest. They had a great deal of information about the Lord. Many of them had witnessed through the children's eyes the crossing of the Jordan and the fall of Jericho. And what they had not seen with their eyes, they had heard with their ears. It was not facts they lacked. They knew about the Lord. They knew about his deeds. But they did not know him. They did not acknowledge him. They had become complacent about the living God. They had forgotten how to walk in fellowship with God. Instead of being filled with wonder that God had reached into Egypt and had delivered his people from the hand of Pharaoh, instead of being moved to praise God when they heard the history of Mount Sinai or Gilgal or Jericho or the Canaanites' contest, they simply joined and bored at this boredom. Ah, we have heard this story all that long before. And here we come to the heart of the problem of the second generation and the third generation. And whether we like it or not, it is a problem which is very much part of our experiences as well. It operates on a personal level. And you see it on family level as well. We also have to face it on church level. 
as we begin to leave our first love for the Lord. For what happened? First of all, the Israelites are satisfied with the status quo. And what does that mean? Through Joshua, God gave orders to teach the tribes to take their territory from the Canaanites. But after Joshua's death, the people of Israel said, "Ah, why bother? We have all the land we need. And those Canaanites are not so bad. We can get along with them. God had given them a command to move out and take the land. But they refused to move out in faith. They were content and comfortable with the existing situation. And there is still another thing. The Israelites took God's blessings for granted. And they did not acknowledge him. In Deuteronomy 6, the verses 10 to 12, God gave a warning to his people that still speaks to us today. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your father, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then take care lest you forget the Lord. And the Lord considered this message so important that he had Moses reinforce it in Deuteronomy 8. For the great danger is there that we accept the blessings of God as a normal thing and a normal part of our lives. So the Israelites looked at the land they possessed and said, look at what we did. And instead of giving God thanks, they became man-centered in their view of life. And most importantly, The Israelites neglected the word of God. What was central in Joshua's life is marginal in Judges. The people possessed the word of God, but they chose to ignore it. Ritually, they did many of the things the law required, but their obedience was outwardly or only. Well, when you forget the word of God... You are in danger of forsaking the God of that word. It's explained why Israel turned to the father and vicious worship of Baal and Ashtoreth. They forfeited what the Lord had promised. And when they went out to fight their enemies, Israel was defeated because the Lord was not with them anymore. Imagine a woman who has an outstanding academic career that promises her a brilliant future. She meets a young man who wants to become a doctor, and she falls deeply in love with him. They decide to marry, and she gives up her personal hopes and dreams to put him through the medical school. 
And year after year, she works unselfishly at a very menial job and puts up with all the frustrations and inconvenience of his schedule. And finally, he finishes all his training and speciality. And on that glad day, he tells her that he is leaving her. He has found someone else. It is not hard to realize why that woman would feel used and abused. To take all the gifts of love and then to turn around and despise that love to take up with a cheap substitute, it is the most devastating insult possible. And yet, that is exactly what Israel did with the grace of God. They chose the cheap, immoral gods of Canaan and rejected the eternal God of love. And that is why we read what we do in verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. In his judgment, the Lord punishes the sin of his people. And you have to realize that this is not a pity anger of hurt feelings, but the holy anger of the righteous God against sin. It is the revulsion of a perfect God against the sinful rebellion of his people. For God and evil cannot coexist. And it becomes more and more clear that God's people could not hold his law. For they repeatedly sinned against the Lord. And it even goes from bad to worse. But when they turned away from God, they inevitably condemned themselves to defeat and bondage. They were plundered. plundered. They were enslaved. They were oppressed. And probably when they first began to get involved with the Canaanites' sin, they said, this is liberating. We are not under those old laws of Moses anymore. But that false freedom led them straight into slavery. By works of the law, no one will be justified. And in addition to external oppression, they were afflicted with inner decay. Sin produces servitude. That is the characteristic of the time of the judges. And it becomes more and more evident that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God. As the Apostle Paul says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. However, in his judgment, the judge of heaven and earth punished the sins of his people. Good Friday. The blessing of Abram comes upon the Gentiles, upon you, in Christ Jesus. Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. He became a curse for you. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And therefore, you are sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The best medicine against that second and third generation syndrome in your life 
is Golgotha. And that brings you to the second aspect. In his judgment, the Lord teaches war. An old man was traveling on an ocean liner. Then a huge storm blew up without warning, and one woman lost her balance and fell overboard. And the people stood frozen with horror. And suddenly a man plunged into the waves. He grabbed the woman and he held her until the rescue boat came. And when they were pulled out, everyone was astonished and embarrassed to see that the hero was the oldest man on the boat, a man in his 80s. And that evening they held a party to honor that man. And when they called on him to make a speech, the old man rose slowly, looked around the people, and then he said, I would like to know just one thing. And there was an embarrassed silence. Who pushed me? Well, sometimes that is the only way we start moving. And the Lord brings this into practice to push his people out of their apathy. It is important to recognize that God did not leave the second generation, the generation after Joshua and his contemporaries. He did not leave them to live in their apathy. His strategy for punishing his people forward is spelled out in the verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. The unconquered nations of the Canaanites remained to test Israel by them, it was only in order that the generation of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to these who had not known it before. No, God was not interested in giving Israel some kind of technical instruction in military strategy. He will teach them the war. God desired that his people know how to trust him in the battle. The Lord left the Canaanites in the promised land as thorns in the sight of Israel and their God as snares to Israel. And time and again the Lord puts his children to the test to know what is in their heart. A hard judgment of God. Had all gone well, gone, gone well the educational, the testing period would have been covered just by the period of Moses and Joshua. Moses would have begun it, Joshua would have completed it, and then the testing would have been followed by fruition. God's people would have entered the rest of the promised land. But now we hear that the probation is followed by another probation. And every time the people of Israel failed the test... God's people continued to be on probation. For the Lord had said, I swore in my anger that they should not enter my rest. And therefore this period, the period of the law, the period of the judges too, is your guardian, says Paul, your guardian to Christ. Through the law you receive a push in your back to trust the Lord and to live in faith. 
The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And therefore Paul says, I teach you war. Oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, you foolish church people. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Awake from your apathy and put on the whole armor of God and walk in the Spirit. Then you shall not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the weaknesses of the flesh entices you into the test. But in those tests... We know that we are not tested beyond what we are able. But with the test, the Lord will also make the way of escape that we may be able to pass the test. For we have a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation to the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tested, he is able to aid those who are put to the test. And yes, that brings us to the third aspect. In our text, we hear that there will be a kind of pattern of events during the times of the judges. We will hear about the disobedience of the people of God. Then the Lord will come with his discipline. Then there will be despair of the people of Israel. Again and again, They call upon the name of the Lord, and then the Lord will give deliverance. Four times D. And we hear about this pattern in the rest of the book seven times. Every time it is the same. Disobedience, discipline, despair, deliverance. And with these words, we can summarize the history of the judges. Time and again, the Lord delivered his people by raising up judges who defeated the enemies and who set Israel free. The judges led the people against the enemy. Then they provided justice and leadership. They settled disputes, and God also intended them to be spiritual leaders within the nations. God raised them up as proof of his love and kindness and long-suffering. And God was with them. God empowered them to carry out the task he gave them. And God worked through the judges. As long as the individual judge was alive, God brought freedom and victory to his people. And we make ourselves the question, why did God raise up the judges? It would have been much easier to destroy his people with their record of consistent failure. But God is not a man. He does not break his covenant. Therefore, he doesn't desert his people. But as the people experience their righteous deserved judgment, we read, the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning. What a beautiful insight into the heart of God. His people sin against him. They rebel, they reject him. They spurn his love. 
And there is no happy ending of this review and also not of the book of Judges. For the judges died, but God's people did not learn their lesson. Whatever the judge died, whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices of their, or their stubborn ways. And the end of our text gives us conclusion. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. An accumulation of sin and evil. If God had said, that's enough, justice would have no complaint. However, the book of Judges is full of the grace of God. For he raises up one judge after another. And the Apostle Paul refers to this history when he preached in the synagogue of Antioch in Pisidia, Acts 13. Listen. God, the God of these people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that he gave them judges unto Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king. And to cut a long story short, he raised up David to be their king. And of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised, a judge. And through they found in him no guilt worthy of death, and they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead to be our judge. Through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Acts 13. In his judgment, the Lord gave his judge. And through his judgment... He grants the victory. For there is no judgment, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let us then lay aside the apathy and sins of our ancestors and not fall into the trap of the second and third generation syndrome. But let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that he set before us, looking to Jesus, our judge, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For in this judge... 
you will receive the victory. Amen.